Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. And as always, we bring on Stanford insider, uh, publisher of Cardinals 247, Jackson Moore, to get you ready to go for this weekend's Oregon versus Stanford matchup. Jackson, how you doing? Uh, is the typhoon, has the typhoon hit the Bay Area? Uh, I, I, are we expecting a nasty wet weather on Saturday? Um. You know, the last time I was over there was Friday for San Jose State, and it was smoky. So, okay. uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think they're expecting a lot of uh, precipitation this weekend, but um, yeah, it was, it was pretty nasty. So, hopefully, the, the skies are clear this week. Okay. Uh, well, maybe the rain would be a good thing then. Sounds yeah. like it, it would be like it was here. Um, four and four, last eight games these two teams have played down at Stanford Stadium, they've split it. Um, it's a traditional rivalry game, um, but Stanford is – it's a new leaf for the Cardinal. David Shaw is out as head coach. Troy Taylor is in. Um, noticeably, the, the tight ends are still here, but the offense looks different. Just what, what's been the, the biggest changes you feel like with this shift in leadership from David Shaw to Troy Taylor? Yeah, it's been a change from top to bottom. I mean, the whole staff has turned over. Uh, no one was kept by Coach Taylor, even though uh, he only brought in two assistants from his Sac State staff. So went out and hired a bunch of coaches from all over the place. A uh, good group from Wisconsin's in on defense. But just from the top, I mean, he came in right away preaching that he wants to build the team with a culture of love, which um, is not the exactly the go-getter, you know, <laughs> physical type of speech that – a lot of coaches bring the, their their day one press conference. It's been about love and about fitting into Stanford and um, you know doing what Stanford is able to do the right way and the best to their ability. Um, but also just re-energizing what got kind of stale over the last couple of years under Coach Shaw and um, everything's a lot faster. The tempo on offense is very high tempo, and you see that in practice. Everything moves very quickly, and the strength and conditioning has changed quite a bit. So. You know, a lot's changed behind the scenes, um, but it's mostly mental, I would say, mostly culture-wise. And um, you got a lot of young players that are still kind of getting their feet wet as far as actually playing. Jackson, thank you for making probably – this has got to be close to double digits in terms of appearances <laughs> on the show. Um, always great to have you. Those who probably – I've probably seen you recently when we had uh, you on for Hawaii, and you'll be back in uh, about a month when we, you come back for Cal. <laughs> uh, so I uh, wanted to get that out of the way. I was surprised this offseason with some of the Stanford recruiting success. I mean, they have one of the better classes in the conference or in what formerly will soon be the Pac-12. What has allowed Taylor to do some, some good things there? And then on the field, I know it's small sample size. Are there things that have stood out and to why they've kind of struggled out of the gate? They beat Hawaii in the opener. Ever since then, it's been kind of it's been kind of tough, including a loss to Taylor's old school. Yeah, on the recruiting side of things, um, you know they 
still are Stanford, you know, they have the high draw for academic, you know, priority type recruits. And um, I, I think uh, staff wise, they went out and they hired a really good recruiting staff. That's got a good uh, track record of being successful at uh, smaller schools along the way. And the other part is they know they're not going to be too active in the transfer portal. They know that they're down on scholarships right now. This is not a full 85 man scholarship roster. So, I mean, they're going to go hard for high schoolers and get as many as they can. The class was like close to 30 at one point. Um, so I'm just sheer number wise, that's going to help them a bit in their rankings, but they do have a lot of four stars in that group. And I, I think, you know, they've realized that once they can get recruits to Stanford to visit, they have a high success rate of turning those into commitments. So they hosted a ton of visits over the June and they, they hit on a high clip of, of them. So um, I think they're doing well there. They're still not quite the, the top, top end recruits that were there in the 2010s in the Shire, but I think they're going to see some dividends pay off sooner rather than later with this 24 class. Um, and then on the field, I mean, it's been a struggle, of course, that going to USC was just, it was never a game from the get-go. Um, Sacramento State is, as far as FCS schools go, one of the better ones. I mean, I, I'm not so certain that the talent at Stanford is much better, or you know, even with it being Stanford than a Sac State, uh, I wasn't quite surprised that they lost that game. Probably more surprised they kept it close against Arizona after the Sac State loss, but, um, you know, the, I think offensively that Coach Taylor knows what he's doing, but he's got a couple quarterbacks that don't quite fit yet. Ashton Daniels is more of a mobile quarterback. I think he prefers Justin Lampson style, it's a little more traditional, but Daniels has been more effective. So it's, they've been going back and forth and they haven't quite figured that out. I think defensively they're just undermanned at a lot of spots, particularly in the secondary this is a team that had 16 starters leave from last season, all went to the NFL draft five or to the power five schools via the portal 11. So, I mean, that's a lot of talent that didn't get replaced through the portal. It's purely by the backups and new freshmen. You look at the schedule They're They won their first game, the season opener at Hawaii, 37 to 24. And then, like you said, at, at USC, they weren't really competitive. 56 to 10. The last two, uh, first Sacramento State, they had the unfortunate issue of getting upset on the at home by an FCS school. Sac State won 30-23. And then Arizona came in last week and, and won 21-20. But it was probably the best defensive performance we've seen this season from Stanford. Uh, the Ducks are on Saturday. Then they have to go to Colorado. They still have to play UCLA, Washington. Washington State, Oregon State, and then they end the season with their rivalry games uh, at home versus Cal and then at home versus Notre Dame. Uh, with a 1-3 and three record, knowing what you just talked about with the departures and not, not being able to replace the talent, you know, man for man, equal, equal, um, what is defined as a successful season for a Stanford team that's 1-3 and three right now? Yeah, I think from a fan's perspective, just progress, but – it seems like from the coaching staff, I mean, that they are almost treating this season as building for 2024 already. I mean, EJ Smith and Casey Filkins are two running backs are like two of the best players on this team. And they had one combined carry last week coming off the Sac State loss. 
they let true freshman Cedric Irvin handle the ball the most, and he had a pretty solid game. I mean, statistically did pretty well uh, per carry. So I think you're going to see a lot of this season turn into how can we get this team rebuilt as quickly as possible, not right now, but for 24-25. And, I mean, the two of the leading receivers last weekend were both freshmen or a freshman and a redshirt freshman. So um, I think, you know, three wins would have been – you know, online, if they could have got Hawaii, got Sac State, and maybe stole one along the way, maybe Cal. I mean, if they beat Cal, that'll uh, cure a lot of the troubles over the course of the season just from a, that fan base's perspective. But I think they're almost in a mode right now where they just want to develop the talent, figure out what they've got, and then build around that for next year when they're going to have a more manageable schedule in the ACC, ironically. <laughs> That's all turned out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't even talked about the ACC move. Uh, maybe we'll have to discuss this in Stanford Cal collectively when we when we get you on later this month with or next month with the Cal preview. Um, back to Stanford though, two QBs this season. Uh, we've seen them play different parts of the game. We've seen them play different parts of a single drive. Um, what's just Kind of the, I guess the the thought process here around the two quarterback system that they're using uh, are, are these two guys. Is one guy significantly better at, at X and the other one significantly better at Y, and that's why they're splitting? What, what what's the backstory here? Yeah, you know, I think it felt like through camp that Justin Lampson was the guy that they were molding to be the starter and to run the offense and. You know, he is coming off of a pretty significant injury coming from Syracuse, and even him, he hasn't played at all at the college level before getting to Stanford, so the experience level is not quite there, and um, I'm not sure if he's been 100% healthy. So then you've got Daniels, who also just been at Stanford for one year, has experience as a Wildcat quarterback last year, uh, played quite a bit in that role, and uh, I mean, he's been a pretty decent passer as well when they've asked him to run the offense more traditionally here this year. I feel like they're putting them both out there in hopes that someone's going to kind of emerge at some point and they'll be able to ride the hot hand. But I think Lamson fits Troy Taylor's offense better, but Daniels has been the better quarterback and they've just kind of gone back and forth until someone can prove it. Um, Lamson more prototypical. He's got a pretty accurate arm. Uh, it's athletic enough, but it's not going to run the ball like Daniels. I really like their game plan at Hawaii where Daniels was on the move a lot and they haven't really carried that over quite as much. So that's kind of, I think, where you see them both in the same drive come up where you've got some more designed runs and rollouts for Daniels and then a more traditional play for Lamson. So it's it's a strange spot and uh, they're going to keep going this way until they have a hot hand to go with long term. Jackson, you said something that I was going to ask you about earlier, and I, just to follow up on what's going on with the running back position. I couldn't figure out why Casey Filkins and EJ Smith, who you mentioned, like barely played in that game, like didn't play against Arizona. It was a competitive game. Like they lost by one. It seems like that could have been maybe a difference maker. Is there any background on that? Um, just because I thought that was kind of interesting. And are we expecting them to be available this weekend? Yeah, they should both be available. It's kind of, head scratcher as far as what they'll actually do though just when asked why Irvin played so much and uh, Philkins and Smith did not he said Irvin they wanted to see what he could do and that he had earned more playing time so that's kind of where I'm thinking you know if it's week four and you've got stars off the lineup and you want to see what your freshman running back can do in a conference game I mean 
uh, well, uh, this seems more like a long-term play than particularly winning that game, but you know, there could be more behind the scenes. And, um, but I mean, you've got two seniors that are, even if they've got eligibility, aren't probably going to be back next year. And so maybe this is kind of the thought process. They play the younger guys, get them ready and be stronger next year. Yeah. I thought that was so strange. Um, and then I was going to ask you, we talked about a couple of things offensively, but their tight end, Ben Urosik, probably their best offensive player. What makes him so good and, and what kind of a threat does he pose uh, to opposing defenses like Oregon's? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a six foot four target. He's athletic. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's uh, I mean, pretty fast for his size at six four two forty. 240. Uh, he's got good hands. He'll go up in traffic with two or three guys coming after him and he'll make the catch and take the hit, or you can throw it out to him in space and let him run. They've even tried handing him the ball off a few times and doing some weird things in the backfield. So, I mean, he can pretty much do it all, but at his core, I mean, Jurassic is more of a NFL style tight end that just makes a lot of plays in open space and uh, you can kind of throw it to him on just about any route. So uh, he's a big part of the offense. Sac State somehow kind of took him out after he had a couple of big weeks. So, um, they're kind of getting him back into a rhythm right now. The offensive line historically has always been known to be pretty darn good at Stanford. This year, four different starting lineups, four different games. Um, is it injury-related? Is it production-related? Is it both? Uh, what is the makeup of this offensive line? Because through four games from the outside, it looks like they're still trying to find answers for what fits, what works. Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, the big injury was Jack Lair, who was they were expected to start and was banged up in the preseason. So they've kind of shuffled things around as he's gotten healthier. But um, it's mostly, I mean, this is an offensive line that had six players transferred to Power 5 schools last season. Jeez. So that's four starters and two backups that were deemed Power 5 talents. I mean, at Michigan and at UCF and all over the place. So uh, they've only got one starter back at center and they've trying to plug in a whole bunch of other players. As mentioned earlier, not much action in the portal coming into Stanford. Uh, they did bring in two Ivy League offensive linemen, and that's about two of the highlights of the class, really. Um, Trevor Mayberry has been the one that's filled in at guard for most of the season. And, and you've got a true freshman in the lineup. You've got a redshirt freshman bouncing around. So uh, it's very much a work in progress. I, there's a lot more to get to on this Stanford team that, kind of perplexes me but just from an injury perspective we kind of mentioned the running backs there I'm curious um is there, is there anything else we do know is is just Taylor been forthcoming with guys who are definitely out this weekend or guys that are expected to miss time or or is this a situation kind of like with Oregon where you just get to the game on Saturday and you find out yeah they've been pretty quiet on injuries and there hasn't been a lot of them at least the very obvious ones where players have left games and I mean uh yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, guys like John Humphreys and Jimmy Wyrick have missed some time that were notable. But, I mean, in general, the team has been pretty healthy and they haven't had to go to the depth a whole lot due to injuries. But we've seen them go to depth at some spots for other reasons, too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Um, I, I guess the the next point I was going to get to is the defense, since we haven't asked about it. Figured like that might be something to get to. Um, <laughs> historically, like Stanford has had some really good defenses, and they've been really good, especially up front in that front seven. What what have we seen so far? I know the USC game is like kind of an aberration because that's just an offense that very few teams can cover. But it seems like they've settled in at times. Like twenty points, twenty one points against Arizona, I would imagine was seen as a kind of a triumph, even though it was in a losing effort. Like, is there optimism about this group? Like, are there, what are the strengths? What are the what are the weaknesses? I guess just what's the overview that you kind of can offer for for listeners? Yeah, you know, the secondary is kind of the O line version of Stanford's defense, where they lost all five starters, two got drafted, three went to Power Five schools in the portal, and they added zero transfers. <laughs> and there's no true freshman in the lineup, so it's all reserves from the previous couple of years. And um, I think they performed probably better than all that on paper would sound, but it's still a group that's going to be at a disadvantage against the USC's. And that's where there is some optimism. I think I thought Arizona was one of those schools that would be able to take advantage of that. And they didn't exactly to the extent that the Trojans did by any means. So uh, I think they're playing okay there. Um, Scotty Edwards has probably been the biggest surprise of that group. He'll bounce around from safety to nickel and they've got uh, Colin Wright and Zarn Manley who have been playing decently at cornerback, all things considered. Um, this defense is led by Bobby April, uh, comes from Wisconsin, and they were very, very good at run stopping over there. Uh, it's a 3-4 scheme that most Pac-12 schools are going to make them play a 2-4 nickel, and that's probably what they'll be in most of the time on Saturday against Oregon. Um, so they're pretty well-versed at outside linebacker. They've got David Bailey, who was a top 50 recruit, who's a sophomore now and is playing very well. Um, you know, uh, couple of defensive tackles and other outside linebackers that picked up some experience last year and are, are decent and a um, couple of veteran inside linebackers Gaithan Bernadel at inside backer from FIU was probably the best transfer they got in the portal of uh, this year's class so um, uh, ideally in the front six and the front seven is where that they're going to be most effective and uh, collapsing on the run and creating some pressure um, but uh, not quite armed in the secondary to stop some of the high passing attacks that this conference offers. You you mentioned Bailey. Um, that's the only name to me that really pops from a name recognition standpoint. Um, obviously the transfers have impacted things, but it's early and they haven't played out, but just is this Stanford's, you know, he, very good edge rusher, very, very good outside linebacker type player. Um, is he this team's best player? Is this the guy that Oregon absolutely has to lock down, or is there is that somebody else? Yeah, I'd say it's him. Um, and you know, if I was naming off the top 
talented players. I think they had mostly come from that outside linebacker room. I mean, Lance Kennelly, the other starter, has been very solid, and they've got a bunch of four-star guys in the second-team unit. Um, Teva Tafiti, uh, Ernest Cooper were both four-star guys that were in the same class as Bailey, and they've been pretty active. Um, but Bailey's the guy. I mean, he's the big name, and I mean, physically, just super impressive. Uh, hasn't played a whole lot of football over his life compared to most that are in that level of uh, being known as a recruit, but um, is getting the grasp of it. And it's a little more complicated of a scheme this year, but uh, for the most part, when he's in the right place at the right time, he makes impressive plays. So, I mean, he's the one real difference maker this defense has to offer. And I think as mentioned, Scotty Edwards, you know, the total opposite, barely a three-star guy, but is doing those types of things for the secondary where he's, making plays as a safety. He's dropping down a nickel. He had a sack and an interception, I believe, in that Hawaii game. So kind of doing it all from the back end there. We almost always end with this question, Jackson, so I'm sure you're ready for it. But three keys for Stanford here. What are some things the Cardinal need to do? Um, sometimes they frame it around winning. Other times they frame it around just being competitive. Um, I guess for starters, like, is there much confidence at all that from your side or from the external part, at least, that Stanford could win this game? Or is this one seen as let's try to have kind of another game like we had against Zona? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the last couple of years, this team has been filled with four star players and, I mean, NFL prospects. And even though they only won three games the last couple of years, back to back, you knew that they had enough talent to rise up and snatch a win like this, like in 2021, of course. Last year they won at Notre Dame, but this team is it's a young team. It's not very experienced. Uh, there's a lot of three stars out there. And um, in today's world where the portal is so active and you've got players filling in that, that Stanford is, has a little bit more access to now, but not a lot, it's hard to see them pulling one off like this. So I think just the biggest key is limiting the big plays on defense, particularly in the passing game. They've got to be able to handle – Oregon's wide receivers to a degree to stay competitive. Um, they've got to be able to get some sort of rhythm going on offense against a equally good Oregon defense. They've got to be able to, um, you know, not get dominated at the line of scrimmage and um, have some semblance again of a rhythm to be able to get some points up. And um, I mean, third, I guess would be their kicker, Joshua Cardi. He's a guy that scores a lot of points for this team and, he did miss two field goals uncharacteristically last week that uh, would have put them over the top against Arizona. So um, if this team can get past the 40 and, and put him on the field, they might be able to <laughs> at least put a dent in the scoreboard three points at a time. <laughs> Jackson, we really appreciate you guys. Are you coming on the show with us to giving us some insight into Stanford? Looking forward to covering this game down in the Bay area and, uh, Hopefully we get treated to an entertaining, exciting football game. I know blowouts are always ugly. That's kind of what's expected. But I, I, to Eric's point he made on the podcast last week, I hope this game has, has some yeah. value in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, last time there was Stanford and Oregon at Stanford Stadium, yeah. really, I think it was exciting enough for two games. So, <laughs> and so, that, is, that is very true. <laughs> You're right, Jackson. Let's, let's, this one does not need to be exciting. <laughs> we don't need another one. We don't need another 2021. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out Jackson's work on Cardinal 247 and also go to DuckTerritory.com. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. 
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.